Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at buymeacoffee.com forward slash monsters. There's more info about supporting us at our website, thisismonsters.com forward slash support. This podcast is also available on YouTube, where it's accompanied by pictures and video. There are also more videos than what's just in the podcast. You can find the channel by going to YouTube and searching This Is Monsters. Shayna Hubers had been dating Ryan Poston for about a year and a half. It was said to be a volatile relationship that would end when Hubers found out that Ryan had set up a date with another woman. She decided to respond to that by, quote, giving him the nose job he always wanted, end quote. This is Monsters. Love. It's generally viewed as a good thing. You can love in a romantic way, like how you love your boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse. You can love in a familial way, like how you love your parents, sisters, and brothers. You can also have what's called objective love. That's when you love something inanimate or not alive, like a sports fan loves baseball, or a car enthusiast loves their Lamborghini. As great as all of those types of love are, love can still make a person do some pretty crazy things. In 2011, 20-year-old Jordan Cardella enlisted a friend to shoot him in order to gain sympathy from the girl who had just broken up with him. He believed she would visit him in the hospital and get back together with him out of pity. The plan backfired when the friend only shot him in the arm and they all got caught. The district attorney said, quote, This has to be the most phenomenally stupid case that I have seen, end quote. I think we can all agree with that statement. You might also be familiar with Carl Tanzler, a radiology technician who had fallen in love with one of his patients in 1930. After she died, he built a mausoleum where he would visit her almost every night. After a few years, though, he wanted to be closer to her, so he removed her body from the cemetery and placed it in his bed where it remained until 1940, when his secret was discovered and he was arrested. That brings us to what is known as obsessive love. This is when one person feels an obsessive desire to be with another person. This can end up with a person being unable to accept rejection, which is something that can easily lead to violent behavior and stalking. Shayna Hubers might have expressed this type of behavior early on in her life. A friend of Hubers said in an interview that she could be pretty dramatic when it came to boys. She said, quote, If a guy, like, broke up with her or something, or if a guy just said they weren't interested in her, she would take it pretty hard. End quote. She explained that Hubers didn't like to let things go. That obsessive type of personality wasn't all bad, though. In high school, she was a straight-A student who took many AP classes. She won countless awards for academic excellence and leadership. Her friends said that she wanted to succeed at everything. It led to Hubers graduating cum laude in only three years from the University of Kentucky. Hubers was working towards a master's degree in school guidance counseling. Her obsessive personality was something that was putting her on track to gain a lot of success, if she had just kept her focus on school and the future. Everything changed in 2011 when Hubers received a message on Facebook from 28-year-old Ryan Poston. Ryan Poston was also an overachiever. The oldest of four children and the only boy, he grew up in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, about 6 miles or 10 kilometers south of Cincinnati, Ohio. 
In high school, he studied in international programs in Manila, Philippines, and graduated while in Geneva, Switzerland. He went on to study political science, history, and geography at Indiana University before following the family tradition of becoming a lawyer. Both his grandfather and uncle were attorneys, and due to Poston's passion for justice, he attended the Sam and P. Chase College of Law at North Kentucky University. Ryan was close with his father, and when his parents divorced and his mother Lisa Carter remarried Peter Carter, he didn't see it as a competition between father figures. He embraced his new stepfather and enjoyed his life with two great male role models. As a way of showing just how big of a role both men played in his life, he had his middle name changed to Carter. Hubers was friends with Poston's stepcousin, Carissa Carlisle, on Facebook where the young lawyer saw some photos of Hubers. He sent her a message and the two made a plan to meet in person. Their first meeting was on Huber's 20th birthday, April 8, 2011, at a bar in Lexington, Kentucky. Friends of Poston say Huber's was obsessive from the very beginning. They say that she was completely cold to them and all of her focus was on Ryan. They believe she wanted to get him to settle down with her, but he wasn't ready for that. He was a young attorney working in Cincinnati, a career that took up a lot of his time. Because of the difference in relationship goals, Poston tried to end things with Huber's. Her obsession with success took hold, and she refused to take no for an answer. In a text to a friend, Hubers wrote, quote, He says he's only with me because I make him feel so awful about it when I cry, end quote. So, Poston would break up with Hubers, but would feel bad when she would start crying and would take her back. This led to the relationship lasting about a year and a half off and on. She grew more and more possessive of Poston, which began to concern him. He enlisted the help of his stepcousin, Carissa Carlisle, to explain to her that she needed to let him go. In a text he sent to Carlisle, he said, quote, This is getting to be restraining order level crazy. She's showing up at my condo like three times and refuses to leave each time. End quote. During this time, Hubers claims that Poston was emotionally abusive. Ryan's neighbor, Nikki Carnes, said in an interview that Hubers would complain to her about Poston's behavior. She claimed that Poston would call her fat, tell her she needed to lose weight, and tell her she needed a boob job. Allie Wagner, who had known Poston for 10 years, said that she had never heard him raise his voice. She said he was, quote, super nerdy and super sweet, end quote. Poston liked to shoot guns, so Hubers had joined him at the gun range. On October 2nd, 2012, Hubers texted a friend, quote, a part of me wanted to turn around and shoot him. I wonder why he's taking me on dates and stuff. LOL. I'm not going to turn down learning to shoot a gun. Ha ha. End quote. In October of 2012, Ryan Poston had set up a date with a woman who wasn't Shayna Hubers. Poston had met Audrey Bolt, who was Miss Ohio USA 2012, on Facebook and made plans to meet at a bar. Poston told Hubers that he wasn't going to be able to see her that weekend, but didn't mention anything about the date. She found out, though. Hubers being Hubers, once she saw that Poston and Bolt had become friends on Facebook, she also became friends with the beauty queen and was able to uncover the couple's plans. Authorities would make some interesting discoveries on Hubers' phone after she was arrested. She would text Poston constantly and even made up stories in order to get him to spend time with her. Shana Hubers would send Ryan Poston nonstop messages. He would respond once in a while, uh, the, the, 
the ratio is somewhere depending on the situation if there was a you know if he was trying to break up or, or move on she would send him a hundred messages to his one response many times he would just turn his phone off during that period of time um, you, you mentioned a request to take her to the airport yes during the course of those conversations between them did the defendant say why she needed to go to the airport she was going to fly to Hawaii why uh, the aunt Kia was dying again. And she needed, what, what was her request of Ryan? To ride her to the airport. And to that, what did he say? He agreed to do it, yes. Did she say anything about the type of ticket she had? She said that she was buying a one-way ticket. You searched um, the defendant's phone, emails, her um, computer history. Did, did you find a ticket to Hawaii one way? No, there was no tickets and um, there was no communication with anybody else about going to uh, Hawaii either that Sunday. That she had had some text messages back and forth with the Aunt Kia um, and no indication that she was getting on a plane that Sunday and flying out there. Hubers had also created phony situations in order to gain sympathy from Poston. On October 12, 2012, the day of Poston's date, Hubers texted him that she had woken up in the middle of the night with chest pains and was taken to the hospital. There, she had been hooked to an EKG and that she was going to see a specialist. None of that was true. What was really happening was that Hubers was at home searching for details about high blood pressure and heart disease online. She would search, quote, medications for left ventricle hypertrophy, end quote. Then she would tell Poston that she had that condition and list the medications that the doctors had prescribed her. Later the same day, Shayna Hubers showed up at Ryan Poston's condo before he had had a chance to leave for his date. An argument ensued, and then shots rang out. Kimmel County 911. Ma'am, I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. What did you kill him with? A gun, a loaded gun in the house. Tell me where the gun is right now. The gun is in the house. I laid it on the bookshelf. Where are you? I'm standing about 10 feet from his dead body. Okay, are you sure that he is dead? He's, he's dead, ma'am. He's completely dead. Okay. And how long ago did you shoot him? I don't know, 15, 10 minutes, not even that long. Like 10 or 15 minutes ago? Yeah. She killed him 15 minutes ago? What was she doing for 15 minutes between shooting him and calling 911? Okay, what's your name? Don't want me to stand on line with you, so when you get when they get there, they're gonna want to know where that gun is, and we want you to get out safely too, okay? Okay. Are they gonna arrest me? Uh, Ma'am, I don't know what they'll do. We're gonna send send them out. I'm gonna stand on line with you, okay? I mean, I'm not a murderer, ma'am. I just killed him. So what what, what happened exactly? What happened? He beat me and tried to carry me out of the house, and I came back in to get my things, and he was right in front of me, and he reached down and grabbed the gun, and I grabbed it out of his hand and pulled, pulled the trigger. Okay. All right. Do you need an ambulance? 
Have you been injured? I'm not injured, ma'am. I was thrown into the side of the couch. All right, what's his name? Ryan Carter posted. He's an attorney in Cincinnati. Okay, have you had a history of domestic violence with him? Yes. Okay, and is this your gun? No, this is his gun. He keeps loaded guns in the house. So he, he slammed you into the couch, but you don't have any injuries? I don't have any injuries. I was just very frightened. He's just a lot bigger than me. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. I'm 5'8", 120. And he, and he picked me up. And I said, let me get my things at least if we're going to break up. And he threw me across the room. And I was very startled. I was laying on the floor. Okay. All right. And I killed him. Ma'am, you're sure he's not breathing at all? No, that's okay. They actually have someone that's outside almost right now, but I'm going to stay online with you, okay? It's clear now why she waited 15 minutes. She had to figure out her story. She called 911 immediately saying, quote, I killed my boyfriend in self-defense, end quote. Then she wants to know if she's going to be arrested and immediately explains how he abused her. She explains how she was just trying to calmly get her things so they could break up. That sounds nothing like her. And why would he be angry about that? He had been trying to end things with her. This was just hours before he was supposed to go on a date with another woman. It makes no sense. After she shot him, after he was completely immobilized, he was no longer capable of being a threat to anybody, she shot him two more times because he was twitching? Even the operator says, quote, you shot him two more times instead of calling 911, end quote. Hubers was arrested at the scene and taken to the police station for questioning. She was read her Miranda rights and the interview began. The police didn't have to ask any questions. Hubers talked and talked, and talked. Her first concern, though, wasn't really about Ryan Poston. And, you know, I wasn't doing anything that was mean. I was, like, begging him to, to stay in the relationship and be with me because I knew that we weren't really loving each other. You know, Ryan had told me that he loved me and wanted to be with me. And I guess somewhere along the way, that grew to hate. He was screaming how much he hated me. I don't know if anyone will ever want to marry me if they know that I killed a boyfriend in <laughs> Not funny, but... Quote, I don't know if anyone will want to marry me if they heard that I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. End quote. Ha ha. Ha. That's hilarious. The conversation continues to be about her. I don't get any serious consequences that I could really be happy just having a career and maybe not even ever getting married because it's just very traumatic, you know, very traumatic for me to live with it. 
I have to know that I did that to someone that I told every day I love you. She's already trying to plan what she will do after she gets away with the murder. She says that she might never get married because this has all been very traumatic for her. She goes on to describe exactly what happened that led to her shooting Poston. He had put his arm across the table and there's a lamp and he had put his arm across the table and had it in my face and was screaming at me at the top of his lungs after he had thrown me around the room and was saying emotionally to me, You're a I hate you. I hate everything about you for what you are and my family. And he was screaming and he was he had his hand on the table and he wasn't completely standing up. He was like this. He was sitting he was enough that when I shot him, he was like this. Literally. That's when I knew he was dead, or close to it, mm-hmm. and twitching. And that's and I couldn't. I let him. I still, even though the hurt, I still enough of me loved him that I couldn't stand to watch him twitch. I knew he was gonna die or have a completely deformed face. He's very vain. One of our last conversations we had that was good was that he wants my best friend, who's a dentist, to do with veneers, and wants to get a nose job. Just that kind of person. And I shot him right here. I gave him his nose job he wanted. She gave him the nose job that he had wanted. She shot him two more times to make sure he was dead. Her claim was that Poston had insulted her and her family and that he had picked her up and thrown her onto the couch. She doesn't say anything here about picking up the gun, but at the time of the shooting, she says that he was half sitting, half standing at the table when she shot him. That caused him to sit down in the chair, and then his head went forward onto the table. Now, if you remember the 911 call, she said that they had been fighting, and he was right in front of her. He had reached down, grabbed the gun, and she grabbed it out of his hand and shot him. Now he was at the table. In this clip, she says that she picked up the gun. And I just picked up the gun, and in the middle of him doing something with his arm or saying something crazy, shot him. Yet another version of how the shooting happened. She picked up the gun, and it doesn't sound like they're struggling. He's doing something with his arm or saying something crazy. What happened to, quote, he was standing in front of me, he picked up the gun, and I grabbed it out of his hand, end quote. She explains to a different officer that she knew he was going to die, so she shot him again to put him out of his misery. And he was laying with his face on the table, like, twitching. And so, I knew he was going to die a very slow and painful death. I knew he was already dead, you know, within the next 20 seconds. So, in the next two minutes, I knew he was going to be dead. And he was in a lot of pain. He was twitching, he was moaning. But he was ultimately dead. And so, I shot him enough time to kill him so that he wouldn't suffer at that point, which was a few more times. And I shot him, I think I shot him twice, thought he was 
completely dead and he was laying there still twitching and making noises. And I shot him in the head. And then she explains to yet another officer how she knew he was going to die, so she shot him again. I probably should have left it there, but I knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Or have a very deformed face. And you were concerned. And I knew... Oh, no, he would have died. He was already dying. He was already... He was dying. But I just walked around the table and shot him where I knew he would die immediately. It's fast. Is she trying to convince the police that that's what happened, or is she trying to convince herself? Lieutenant Fornash was the one who put Hubers in the interrogation room. As she was leaving the room, Hubers started making noises like she was trying to cry or wail. But as soon as Fornash left, she said she could hear that Hubers immediately stopped. Once she was left alone in the interrogation room, she started pacing around, singing to herself. This is one of the reasons that many people compare this case to the case of Jody Arias. A young, attractive woman who killed her boyfriend because he wanted to see someone else, claimed that they did it in self-defense, and spent time acting strange and singing during their interrogation. I think we can all see the comparison. While in the interrogation room, she never stopped talking. She asked about what life in prison was like. She asked if people were allowed to bring their cell phones with them. She asked if showers were available or if people just got really dirty. She also asked if you have to shower in front of people. Shayna Hubers was charged with the murder of Ryan Poston, which she pleaded not guilty to and maintained that she had shot him in self-defense. Authorities found no evidence of a struggle inside the condo. Hubers had claimed that Poston had thrown her into a bookshelf, but a picture of that same bookshelf showed that everything on it was still in place. Books were standing up, bullets that were on the shelf were still standing up, and a pipe was still sitting upright on a small wooden stand. The icing on the investigative cake was Huber's claim that, at one point, Poston had locked himself in his bedroom. So he's attacking her, but he locks himself in his own bedroom? Not only that, but the history on her phone showed that she had used the internet to search how to unlock a house door with a bobby pin. It turns out that she was successful and was able to get into his bedroom. It certainly sounds like someone needed to defend themselves, but it wasn't Huber's. Evidence on the gun suggested that Huber's moved closer to Poston as she shot him, unlike someone who was being attacked, who would naturally move away from their attacker. When Huber's heard that evidence, she claimed that Poston was coming at her as she fired, but that contradicted all of her previous descriptions of the incident. 
she claimed that she shot him as he stood at the table, and then he went face down. He was twitching, so she shot him more times, and he fell to the floor. All of a sudden, he's coming at her? In her attempt to show that she had acted in self-defense, she made many accusations against Poston. She claimed that he had reached up her dress and grabbed her thigh on their very first date. She also claimed that they had engaged in rough sex that he took too far, but text messages told a different story. On October 3rd, 2012, she sent a text to Poston that read, quote, I have all these cute corsets and stuff that I've never worn. Wouldn't that be kind of hot? And we could, like, roleplay, end quote. Poston responded, quote, I really don't think I'd be into it, end quote. Ryan Poston's downstairs neighbors testified that they heard the shots. They said that they had arrived home at about 8.30 p.m. and heard a woman crying on his deck. About 15 minutes later, there were two initial shots that they thought were firecrackers, but then heard another four shots in rapid succession that made them realize that they were gunshots. When asked if they heard any arguments or a struggle, they said no. They confirmed that if there had been a physical altercation and she had been thrown across the room, they would have heard it. Hubers did not take the stand in her own defense, but she did offer an apology for her actions. Before her sentence was handed down, she said, quote, I'm sorry to my family, and I'm sorry to my friends for letting them down, and I'm sorry for the money that my parents had to spend on attorneys, end quote. She never did, and still never has, apologized to Ryan Poston's family for what she did. On April 23, 2015, she was found guilty of the murder of Ryan Poston. She was sentenced to 40 years in prison, with parole eligibility after 20 years. Her defense tried to get the judge to recognize Hubers as a victim of domestic abuse, which would have given her a lighter sentence, but the judge would not. In order to be recognized as a victim of domestic abuse, you have to either be married to the victim or living with them full-time. Hubers tried to claim that she lived with Poston, but that wasn't true, and the judge wasn't fooled. In August of 2016, Hubers' conviction was overturned because it was discovered that one of her jurors had lied about their criminal past and had been convicted of a felony. Her second trial began on August 8, 2018. Around the same time, Hubers had met someone in county jail and they wanted to get married. As soon as they put their marriage request into the prison, she also contacted the media. She did an interview with WCPO's Craig McKee, where they discussed her newfound love and how she felt about her new trial. It appears that you've fallen in love. Yes. How did that happen? Um, I can only describe it as um, like a spiritual encounter that I had with another person that I met here a couple years ago that I grew to know over the years. Mm -hmm. And we just got really close and, um, you know, we're both forced into a similar situation and um, Unique and I um, have a lot in common and we just grew very close over the years. Mm -hmm. So when you first met Unique, Unique obviously was arrested. Um, Richard McBee goes by Unique, yes. obviously. Um, January 10th of 2016. So when did you, after that? I met McBee. Um, that summer of 2016 when I returned for my new trial. Okay. Yeah. So. I, I left Campbell County Jail and was transferred south of here in January of 2016 right after he arrived, so I didn't meet him until, I didn't meet Unique, he, she, until that, that summer. Right. To, to, to me, I don't see Unique as 
a gender. I don't see unique as a man or a woman. I see unique as a soul that I love. Hubers met a transgender inmate while being held at the county jail. Richard McBee, who identifies as a woman and goes by Unique Taylor, was arrested on robbery charges which brought him to the Campbell County Detention Center. Hubers returned to the same jail a few months later in preparation for her new trial. The two met and eventually decided that they wanted to get married. They sent a request to be married to the detention center. Have you heard back from anyone yet? We have not. And um, we've both had people calling um, the Campbell County Clerk's Office. And in my opinion, I feel like we're being spun already. And um, I feel as if I've already been retaliated against. So. Even if it's only been seven days? Yes. I mean, do you have confirmation they received your request? Um, no, I do not. I, I feel as if I've been retaliated against at the actual institution, at the, at the jail, because the jailer was contacted by Richard McBee, mm -hmm. Unique Taylor, about our um, marriage. And um, within hours of his request to the jailer, letting the jailer know what was going on and that he didn't want any type of retaliation. Um, I, I was moved to a different cell mm -hmm. and um, all of my legal documents for my court case were taken from me and they were taken to the administration office on the other side of the jail and they have not been given back to me. They were seized and um, I feel as if our constitutional First Amendment right to marry because unique is biologically a male and I'm a woman are being violated and we're being retaliated against due to my high profile case and you know my name in Cincinnati and unique's status as a transgender woman. Of course everyone is retaliating against them. They didn't get an instant response so the jail is out to get her. Of course that ends up being not true because the two were married at the jail on June 7th two months before her second trial started. The conversation moves to her new trial, which she isn't very hopeful about. When you, when you heard that your conviction was being thrown out and you were given the opportunity of a second trial, were you, was there relief? Was there, did you smile a little bit? Did you, did you have any reaction like, all right, I get another chance here? What was your reaction? I was obviously very happy. It was something that was very special to me and for my life. Do you think you can get a fair trial in the second round? I don't believe I can gain a fair trial in Campbell County. I don't believe that that's possible here in this county. Is that because of all the media coverage or why, why would you think that? I feel like there's a biased opinion against me here. Sorry, Shayna, but there's a biased opinion about you everywhere. You murdered someone. McKee asks if she will take the stand at this trial. Um, I know there are a number of things your attorney's trying to to get tossed out and they're going through all that normal, uh, that normal stuff from text messages and uh, statements made um, prior to your rights being read, at least that's what they're claiming. So I guess it's possible this trial might look a little different than, than the first one. Um, I'm not sure. I are you, we'll are you take, will you take the stand in this? You'll be called, I would assume. I mean, you took, you took the stand last time. I didn't take the stand at the last trial. Could have sworn you did. No? Mm -hmm. Am I thinking the record? I may be thinking of the recorded the videos then. I didn't take the witness stand at my first trial. 
I'm thinking there's video that I'm thinking of though with you up on the stand. I took the stand at a sentencing hearing that was later. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I apologize. Um, so you don't know if that there are any plans to change any of that at this point. Plans to change the you taking the stand then during this trial. I'll leave that up to um, I'll make that a surprise. We'll, we'll 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 put that into surprise. Surprise. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's going to be a surprise, like a fun little game. You know how fun those murder trials can be. Well, surprise, Hubers did take the stand to testify in her own defense. When he was first shot, he let out a really loud noise that sounded like an animal. It sounded like a bear, some type of wild animal. And it really freaked me out. I thought that he was going to snap my neck because of the way that he was jerking my, my head around. And he had all of his weight on me, and he was—he had all of his weight on my body, and he was jerking my head around with his hand in my hair. I don't believe I said that that night, no. And did you seek medical treatment? No. And it was offered to you multiple times, wasn't it? Yes. Her story has changed yet again. Now he was on top of her, and he had her by the hair, and he was jerking her head around. I thought he was at the table. Or maybe he was coming towards her. I can't keep track. This is her explanation of why her story has been changing. I believe that everything that Ryan had that had ever happened in our relationship between us that was negative was reverberating through the walls of my mind when I made those statements as if they had just happened that day. So things that had happened six, eight months prior were like they had just happened that day to me. And I think at that time, I truly believe those things had just happened that day. Also, putting my clothes on that day was like I had just done it. It's like all these things were in my mind as if they had just occurred. She thought that everything that had happened in their relationship had just happened. So she's basically admitting that everything she's said is garbage. Shayna Hubers was found guilty at her second trial and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years. Taking into account the time she's already served, she'll be eligible for parole in 2032. Seven months after Hubers' marriage to Taylor, she filed for a divorce. The divorce petition claimed that the marriage was, quote, irretrievably broken, end quote. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.